Hello, Lanky Guys listeners. We have for your listening pleasure this week a classic episode from the Lanky Guys archives from the third Sunday of Advent in 2016. This is one of our favorite episodes. So hope you enjoy. We will be back live next week with a brand new show. And on behalf of Father Peter and myself, have a blessed Lent. You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect fire. <laughs> And we're back with a brand new episode of The Word on the Hill. This is The Lanky Guys. Thanks for coming, everybody. My name is Scott Powell. And he's a doctor. And my name is Father Peter Muzzet. He's a priest. <laughs> I'm a priest. So right before the, uh, the, the podcast started, um, we, we always pray beforehand, and I and Scott I entitled what I just prayed the most passive aggressive prayer he's ever heard. One of the most. I, like, I pray I was, that Scott will be funny today. And then I prayed for that I would be and receptive be to re- your humor. Yeah, whatever. That's a backhand. <laughs> whatever a jokes backhanded he tries prayer. to make, I pray that I can be kind enough to laugh at. <laughs> Oh my uh, goodness! You, you guys, welcome to the third Sunday of Advent. It's getting real this Advent. Um, for those of you who um, are <coughs> binge listening the uh, the podcast <laughs> on welcome. Christmas break, on Christmas break, what should I do? Binge listen to the Lucky Guys, dude. Do you know I, somebody was telling me about that, and I was just like, uh, about it, doing that? Yeah, yeah. Maybe no like, self respecting person does that. No, they do, and it just made wow. me feel tired because I was like, <laughs> I feel tired. I, I was talking about how like after we're done with the podcast, you guys, basically Scott and I are like exhausted entirely. Oh, we're tired. It's exhausting to do this podcast, you guys. You have you have no idea. But you know what? I would rather spend my life energy doing this podcast then. than doing emails. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the only two options you have. Third Sunday of Orden- of Ad- Advent. Of Advent. Advenio, y'all. Advenio, y'all. Uh, is next Sunday Gaudete Sunday? No, today's Gaudete. Not Gaudete. So why is Laudete Christus is not to Ex Maria Letare Sunday. Letare Sunday is during Lent. Lent. This is How come it's not pink on uh, the liturgical calendar? Mine is. Mine's still purple. Mine has a purple and a Yours pink. Yours has a pink. Okay, interesting. Because actually, it's that's it's, what threw me off. Rose, so, rose is uh, rose, rose is optional. I'm, I'm sorry, rose. Okay, so it is it is gout laudete. Gaudete. Gaudete. Sunday. Gaudete. Gaudete. Christus as natus. Our first reading for Gaudete Sunday is coming from the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, verses 1 through 6, stopping at A and jumping to verse 10. I think that that's the weirdest gap year ever. It it appears arbitrary, but I'm sure that there is wisdom in this. Then let's just be honest about the psalm here. Actually, somebody's telling me about the other day. They said, said, I never trust anybody who said, let's be honest. (laughs) Oh, no. And I was like, oh, dude, that's tough. It's like when you preface something, like when a Southern lady prefaces, like, God bless her. But she is horrible. <laughs> exactly. Bless her soul. She is the worst human being ever. Yeah, let's be honest, which means that I typically lie. Yeah, it's a good yeah, precursor yeah. for that. Mm. Psalm 146, <laughs> 6 through 10. Which is true. Um, which we have an option for Isaiah 35, 4 for the response recall. Which, I got to be honest, I can't find that line in Isaiah 35, 4. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, have you? I, didn't I mean, get... you have to really splice some stuff together to get... Give comfort to, to the faint-hearted Oh, Lord, hearted come to mind. save us. What? Lord, come to save us? No, man, I, that's, not, that's not in my gig. Okay, whatever. Our second reading, we'll get to that. Okay. Our second reading is from the book of Jason. Sorry, James. Jason. <laughs> 
James Chapman. See, it always looks it. like Jason to me. That was a soft laugh. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. Jason. <laughs> don't. Don't. <laughs> okay. And then, and then our gospel is from Matthew uh, chapter 11, 2 through 11, with, okay. with our um, gospel acclaim. Um, Isaiah 61 as cited from Luke 4:18. This is that is that is circuitous. Yeah, I know. That's like welcome to the welcome to the uh Kirkus Maximus. Welcome to the jungle. Um, All right, I want to suggest something that I only suggest a couple times a year or every week. No, I do not suggest it every week. <laughs> yeah, come on. Dude, do you know what I'm even going to suggest? We're going with the gospel first. Yeah, every week my patootie every week. Well, this right. is I suggest we start with the gospel because because we because we have to. Dude, I got to say I'm excited to start with the gospel. I think it's the only way to read these with sanity. I I'm sorry. That's a terrible way. To, it's the best way to read these as far as the narrative. Well, and and the truth is is that the way in which people encounter um um is they just hear the gospel and then you got to preach on it. So the freshest thing in people's minds is often the gospel. Well, the thing that's cool about this is that the gospel quotes the first reading, which rarely happens in our schema of readings. But in this case, it's very explicit. The gospel is a direct quote of the first reading. Okay. And so we're taking the narrative, but we're taking it as a flashback. Okay. So the narrative obviously works the other direction, but this is a good way to look at it because this is the way that Jesus is actually presenting it to us. Okay. Saying, let's look back on it this way. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Which is just kind of cool that you don't usually get the first reading quoted in the gospel. I know. So nor Normally the church gives us actually like a little bit of divergence. So then we have lots of paths. It's kind of like, sometimes I feel like the readings, the way they're set up is like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It is. And you're like, you're like, except it's fewer than that. <laughs> Six degrees of Isaiah. So today is the one degree of Isaiah. Isaiah knew Hezekiah. Hezekiah knew Sennacherib. Sennacherib knew... I'm sorry. The knee bone. Biblical. <laughs> the knee bone. All right, all right. So here's where we are. Um, John the Baptist finds himself in prison. Bum, bum, bum. John the Baptist is in prison. Matthew, it, we're picking up in Matthew with a little flashback. Matt, Jesus, it's not a flashback, sorry. It's a, a side note, basically. Ma Jesus is doing ministry. He's going about. He's pro he's proclaiming the gospel. He just finished. We've come the last couple of chapters from the Sermon on the Mount, and he's doing ministry. He's proclaiming the kingdom. And then we hear that John the Baptist is in prison. We haven't heard about John the Baptist in a while yeah. since the baptism. But John the Baptist is in prison now. He's been arrested by Herod, remember, for calling out uh, the king for marrying his sister's wife and all, all these different things. So so John the Baptist finds himself in prison. And while John is sitting in prison, uh, okay, let's set the scene. So here's what, here's what the reading actually says. In chapter 11, verse 2, right, it says, When John the Baptist heard in prison about the works of Christ. So if you're reading along in Matthew, yeah. you've been reading all about the mighty works that Jesus is doing. Matthew, remember, Matthew was a tax collector, which means he's essentially an accountant. And so Matthew is an organizer by nature. And Matthew loves to organize things in certain categories. So um, in the last couple of chapters, he's categorized and gathered together a bunch of Jesus's miracle stories. So if you're reading through Matthew, you've just read a bunch of this consolidation of a bunch of miracle stories of Jesus. And you're like, wow, this guy's really amazing. He's healing people. He's curing people. He's doing incredible things. And then you sidetrack over to John the Baptist. John the Baptist hears that he's doing all of these incredible things. Remember, John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin. He's the one 
who was uh, the messenger sent to be the voice, the announcer of Jesus, the Messiah coming out in the wilderness. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. (laughs) Here he comes. (laughs) He sees all these things happening. I mean, he is the herald of the king in a very real way. And now the herald of the king, the voice of, of Isaiah and Malachi, the messenger sent to prepare the way, the cousin of the Messiah is sitting kind of rotting in a prison cell. Dude, hearing about all these things. Let's right? just let's just hang out with that for a second here. Like sometimes like this is Jesus's cousin. Like yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> like like sometimes up, we, we we like are like Lord please help and the Lord's like there's meaning in what you're doing. Even my cousin had to like <laughs> uh, dude, I had to yeah. I had to let him I had to actually let him go to prison for, for so that he and could leave accomplish. Him a bit. Yeah. yeah, so that he could accomplish that. I mean I mean I'm sure uh, you know Elizabeth and Zechariah were like uh, hey, <laughs> right? You wait. It's, it's funny, you know. I've I've heard different interpretations of this passage, and I have a very specific take on this, which maybe it's due to my own cynicism. Maybe I I should be holier. I don't know. <laughs> Probably. But, but okay. So here's John the Baptist in prison, hearing about the works that Jesus is doing, and so John sends his disciples to Jesus with this question, saying, "Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for somebody else? Exactly. Should we look for another? I mean, you've got." <laughs> Again, maybe it's my personal cynicism. I'm reading into John's words, but I'm seeing John rotting in prison, hearing about the things that Jesus is doing to set people free. He sends his disciples. He's like, are you really the Messiah or should we just look for somebody else? <laughs> and I've heard others say, well, he obviously understands exactly what's happening and he's tending his disciples because he knows it's for their benefit that Jesus will teach them and show them. And But at the same time, which is fine, maybe, but John's human. He's got to be frustrated. I think John John. If anybody knows who Jesus is in, in, in the gospel of John, which is not John the Baptist, John the apostle, but his gospel talks about John's, the first couple of chapters are all about John's insight into this right? and how he recognizes, Lord, this is the one that you've sent. I can't believe it. And he, you know, all of these things of his, his revelation that he sees, he gets it. He sees the heavens opened for Pete's sake, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. If anybody gets it, it's him. And so I hear a certain amount of frustration in John's voice of like, okay, I I get it, Jesus. You're my cousin. You're the king. You're the Messiah. You're working miracles for everybody else. What about me? Should I just look for somebody else? Are you not really the Messiah? You know, I don't know. I hear a cynicism. And maybe that's my jaded nature. Maybe John knows perfectly well what's going on. He's just wanting Jesus to tell his disciples for their benefit. I don't know. But Jesus says in reply, so they go and ask, should we look for somebody else or are you it? And Jesus says in reply to them, and he's presumably got this crowd of people around him. He's working miracles. And he says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is he who takes no offense at me. Which it's one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> well, kind of. But on a certain level, you'd want to just be like, it's a yes or no question, Jesus. <laughs> like, that's a beautiful little discourse you've just gone off on. But are you the one or not? He's like, well, let me tell you something. The blind and the deaf. And it's, he's saying all it, these things. And you're like, well, okay, so what's your answer? <laughs> it's a little bit like talking to you. Oh, come on. No, I'm serious, dude. Like you're, you're like You're like, what about this? And you're like... Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and you're like, well, <laughs> let's just... make some distinctions. Yes, let's make distinctions. I've got some distinctions for you. Okay, so let's take <laughs> this apart. You are a man of distinctions. Well, let's, make this, let's take this apart. So Jesus doesn't appear to give a yes or no answer, which on the surface could frustrate you and just be like, okay, well, so what is it? But what is Jesus actually saying? So I mentioned it before. What is Jesus? Jesus quotes something. Do you know what he's quoting? Um, he is quoting Isaiah. 
Yeah, he's quoting the first reading Absolutely. from Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. <laughs> see, see, now we're talking. You see, you're like, well, of course, you did say yes. You affirmed what I, yes. you know. Because yes, the, 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 the philosophical way is, you know, seldom affirm, never deny, always distinguish. And so see? Jesus is like, are you the Messiah? Are you the one to come? Is there somebody else? And he's like, well, well look it up. <laughs> well, oh, okay. Isaiah 35 is a very important passage about what's going to happen when, remember, Isaiah spans this massive amount of time where chapter 35 comes right before Assyria, who's just obliterated the northern kingdom, is about to come in. Hezekiah's king, uh, he's going to experience all this, you know, this warfare coming from Assyria. They're going to try to destroy Jerusalem. As they will eventually be destroyed. Things are pretty rough. Things are things are hanging in the balance, so to right. speak. And Isaiah, in that moment, is pointing ahead to this time when God is going to step in and set things right. There will be no more of this war and strife. There'll be forgiveness and righteousness. The good guys will win. The bad guys will lose. Everything will be made right. And he says, when that happens... Again, quoting from, from 35, it says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It'll burst into bloom and rejoice greatly for the shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel, all these things. Uh, basically, Isaiah 35 is a passage about the Lord coming with vengeance. The Lord coming to save the world with vengeance. But ironically, it's the kind of vengeance where like flowers bloom and trees, you know, leaf. And it's this kind of. <laughs> That's the weirdest. It's a weird kind of vengeance. What a weird vengeance. Like, I'm going to bring beauty where there's darkness or something. And not only that. So if he starts there, but then he goes on. He says, so strengthen the weak knees and the feeble knees because the blind will see and the lame will walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf will hear. The dead will be raised. All of these things are signs of Jesus's coming. Um, what did I what did I call it before his uh, his coming with uh, power and might? Yeah, power and might. But we R vengeance. Yeah, his vengeance. His vengeance is flowers blooming, trees coming into leaf, rivers flowing, people walking, blind seeing. I mean, what is God, according to Isaiah, what is God taking vengeance on? The, hold on. I think you're blowing my mind. It's kind of cool. Like, he's taking vengeance on a fallen world yes. and actually restoring the garden. Exactly right. Holy cow. Like, That's dude, exactly you, you, yeah, you had to say it. Yeah. I, I had to say it out loud to myself this morning to kind of see it. I'm like, because it is about vengeance, but a different kind of vengeance. Yeah. Like you said, it, it's, it's vengeance on the fallenness of the world, which goes all the way throughout creation and humanity and our brokenness and the things that. The things that bring death, what he's doing is bringing vengeance against death. That is the fruit of sin, death in creation, death to beauty, death to the human person, to our suffering. All of those things is what he's bringing vengeance upon, which is really profound. Dude, this makes sense. I was at a wedding the other day, and at the end of all of the toasts, um, the, the, the guy who was sitting with, he, um, they would give these like beautiful toasts to... Uh, to like the bride and the groom, and then and then the, and then everybody go to toast, and he would say, "And death to our enemies, and death to your enemies," and like it totally uh, was sandpaper on my soul. Like as soon as he would say that, it, it was it was actually like it was so inappropriate because it was like because <laughs> it was because again, yeah. marriage uh, marriage is actually Knowledge. fits into this. Into yeah, no, it does. The, it does this, big time. It's like. No, the garden is reopened, and and man and woman are even reconciled to each other. Yes, absolutely. And so, so this is this is wild to think of the garden being opened is vengeance upon death. 
Yes, which is which is this? Uh, this is so we're simultaneously discussing the gospel in the first reading right now, as far as the scheme of the podcast. Uh, yeah, goes. yeah. I was I was so, like I was like I don't know where I am, but I'm just gonna go with it, man. And that's okay. So so let's take this apart though for a second. So go back to the go back to the context. You're John. You're sitting in prison. You might be ticked off a little bit. I'm like, come on, are you, are you there, the is one there to any? Come? Well, not even like I think John knows. He's like. Are you going to help me or not? You're the only one who can help me. Are you going to do something or are you not going to do something? Dude, I just had somebody who I just had somebody who uh, had a very close friend of theirs um, receive a legal sentence. Oh dear! And I'll tell you that they're so much more motivated in justice than the person who received the sentence. Oh, interesting. And so, huh. so like, I actually wonder if part of this too is that these disciples are like, "We're going to break you out. This is unjust. The system is broken." Yeah, that could be. That certainly could be. And so, yeah, that certainly could be. And actually, what I'm about to say next is going to show why that's a bad idea. Talk to me. Ace. So here, here's so okay. So here's John. He's like, "So are you the one or not? Should we look for someone else?" Jesus gives this coded answer. He does. He speaks in between the lines, right? Mm-hmm. And for this message to be brought back to John. Now, here's the question. Will John understand what Jesus is trying to say through quoting Isaiah? Are you the one who is supposed to come to redeem the world or not? And well, he quotes Isaiah 35, which is a very famous passage about what's going to happen when the Messiah comes to redeem the world. Um, I would say yes because the bra, the bro, the bra was um, <laughs> listening. Lit was was wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and honey. And not only that, he's he is the messenger of Isaiah. That's what I mean. Yeah, so he's it. Well, I mean, the, you're bringing up the the Elijah the, connections yeah, as yeah. well. It, well, it's it's not just cosplay. Uh, you know, he's not yeah. just pretending to be the voice yeah. of one crying out in the wilderness. He the is. separation and of he four. gets it. He he knows that that's actually yeah. what he's meant to do. That is his call. So he gets Isaiah. Right. So presumably, does John understand what Jesus is saying? And he hung out with Jesus when he was growing up. Totally. He knew that the dude was gonna was was straightforward. So does he understand the answer? Do you think? Yes. Okay. Where is John? In prison. Whose prison? Herod's prison. Herod's prison. Whose prison is Herod's prison? Herod's prison is Rome's prison. Rome's prison. So he's in a Roman prison that's controlled by by Herod, surely. And the governor. But really, it's a Roman prison, so he's surrounded by Roman guards. Okay. If John asked the question, are you the king who is going to come and take power over the world? And Jesus says, yes, I'm the king, O herald of me. And that's said in front of Roman centurions and guards who are faithful to the king of Rome, the Caesar. What do you think would happen to both John and Jesus? They get dressed down by Caesar. What? They'd get a Caesar dressing. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. yeah, <laughs> Come nice, on. Nice. No, Dude, that, that, that took You should have prayed steps. for your own humor this morning. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. No, the, absolutely. They, they, would get, they would get killed for, for treasony. Yes, I am the king who's going to come and usurp power from Caesar. Wait, what did I just hear? Guard? <laughs> so again, does John know what Jesus is saying? You bet he does. Yeah. Do the Roman guards who are guarding John understand this coded message? No. no. Jesus speaks in code because he wants to keep John's life. Now, John's going to get murdered very soon. His head is going to be cut off. We know what's coming. But Jesus is also, you know, it's a funny, and I'm sure I've talked about this on the, I'm trying to hold back a sneeze. I'm sure I've talked about this on the podcast before, but there was, um, I always think back to this time when I was a focus missionary back okay. in the day. Yep. And I was a focus missionary way back um, when the movie The Passion of the Christ came out, which I, dates I, me. I remember I, w- I was at a I was at one of the national conferences for Focus when they did the- When they aired it. Yeah, I yeah. was there. 
and somebody so, somebody asked me for confession so i didn't get um yeah you no. couldn't have been a priest no there's no way you were a no priest. no you know what it was is somebody who was not catholic <laughs> asked to like they were like i no. really want to talk to a priest and it was like or well, i want to I'm talk close. to a seminary. and so the, so that i said yes and nice. so i didn't get to see it oh I didn't get to see it. I, I like, but it was it was better. I got to evangelize. It was yeah. it was a decent sacrifice. That was the right thing. Well, anyway, when I was a missionary, we rented out a theater to show it oh, around wow. Easter time. Yeah, and so they sent us all this promotional material, and I remember they sent us this poster and all the promo stuff to rent out the theater, and it was that it was the famous poster, and it was like the backlit cross, right? Mel yep. Gibson at the top. And then the tagline for it was his reason for living was dying or his reason for living was to die or something like that. And I remember I didn't understand why, but I remember it bugged me at the time. Because if you think about it, looking yeah. back, like if yeah. his only reason for if Jesus's reason to become incarnate was to die, then I mean, even the Christmas story, I mean, remember Herod's trying to kill him as an infant. If all he did was come to die, Herod could have killed him when he was a baby. But God preserves his life and he runs off to Egypt. And then later, people want to throw him off a cliff. They want to stone him. Jesus actually spends most of the Gospels evading death. Right. Escaping from death. So his purpose for living was not solely to die. That's the capstone, and that's how he's going to bring about salvation. But Jesus is trying to stay alive to establish a church, to build a kingdom for this. So Jesus is using this coded language to tell John, yes, I am the one. Um. I am the one who has come. I want you to know it. And then, you know, but I, I don't want you to die over it yet. Your time is coming. My time is coming. But our time has not arrived yet. My hour has not yet come, to quote what he says to Mary at the uh, wedding feast at Cana, right? Right. So he's doing something very purposeful. And then that last line, <coughs> which I think what you were pointing out earlier, and blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. Just a little jab to John. Hey, by the way, chill out, John. Blessed is he who takes no offense at what I'm doing. I'm doing it the way I want to do it. I know you're in prison. I get it. And there's a purpose that I'm working through <laughs> oh, that. Which so hurt, his purpose has come forth in the psalm in the second reading. Right. Which we'll get to in just a second. But just to finish this off. So here's these disciples. They've come to Jesus. They've asked him this question on the part of John. They go off. And then the gospel continues. And it says Jesus began to speak about, to the crowds about John. He's like, oh, speaking of John, whose disciples were just here, what did you go out to the desert to see? A bunch of people went out to the desert to see John. He's like, what did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind. What is a reed swayed by the wind? Well, what a lot of commentators read from that is that what's a reed swayed by the wind? Like somebody who is moved back and forth by popular opinion or, you know, a people pleaser or someone who is, you know, goes with the flow of what everybody else is doing. He's like, is that what you thought John was? Look, John is sitting in prison. Right. He's probably frustrated by that. These guys are asking me why that's happening. Who is John to you? Is he just some people pleaser that goes with the flow and does this stuff? No, you didn't go to see a reed that just was blown by every, you know, wind that comes along. What did you go out to see? Somebody dressed in fine clothing? He had sackcloth and ashes and camel's hair and ate bugs and locusts for Pete's sake. Right. Who do you think John is? This one who's suffering in prison right now. He is precisely where God wants him to be at this moment. Right. Because he's not someone who goes by popular opinion. He goes against it. He's not someone who is looking for his own glory. He goes against that. He's shunned all of that. You want to see a prophet and something more than a prophet. And he says, then he quotes Isaiah and Malachi and a little bit of Exodus all strung together. Behold, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you to prepare your way. John is the messenger. But then he gives you this twist. And he says, but 
But he doesn't say but, but he says, Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there has been none greater greater than John the Baptist. What he did was profound. No one has done this. He is the new Elijah. He has prepared the way. He's the messenger. He is the voice crying out in the wilderness. But least in the the least in the kingdom is greater than he is. Mm. And then you're like, what? I thought yeah. you just you just talked about great John is. But then you're like, wait a second, that's kind of a slap in the face. The least in the kingdom is greater than he is? But I thought he was great. Right. Well, yeah, he is. But in a very real way, John is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He is the last of the prophets. And he is the prophet par excellence in a lot of ways. But even the Old Testament prophets hold nothing to what Jesus is going to do in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is now at hand. It is now come among you. John is the one who passes the torch of the Old Covenant coming into the New Testament. The, the, the prophetic tradition being handed on to Jesus. He gives that tradition to Jesus, to which Jesus is going to build his father's house. Dude, I have to imagine that this whole scene is something that <clears throat> marks the rest of Jesus's ministry. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think about Jesus saying, he who would try to save his life Yes. will lose it. And he who will lose his life will save it. Yes. And, and and I think that it would take an existential quality, especially when they know that this is his cousin. They know the ministry of John the Baptist. They know like what's actually happening. And, and here he is saying like, if you, uh, the one who lays down his life for one's friends yeah. is the one who is following after the mass messianic way. Yes. It, and so it's, it's really, it's really tough because, um, uh, by all natural measurements, it's too much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the key, though. By natural measurements, it's too much. John also said, by the way, remember, he said, he must, I must decrease, he must increase. Right. Which is John's then explanation of when Jesus says the least in the kingdom is even greater than he is. Right. Because John's job is to decrease. Right. To prepare the way for the one. Which is what, and what you just said is actually, I think, what prepares us for the psalm. Which the psalm, the response, we actually pull from a, 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 a translation of, of verse 4 of Isaiah 35, Lord, come and save us, which is actually kind of perfect because in a very real way, however he's saying it, whatever frustration he might be holding, mm -hmm. this is what John is saying. I get that you're the Lord. At least I sure hope you are. At least, or, or everything I've done is wrong. Right. So save us. Save me. And then the, the, the psalm itself answers, no, the Lord keeps faith forever. It secures justice for the oppressed. Who is oppressed? John is. He gives food to the hungry. He sets captives free, gives sight to the blind, raises those who are bowed down. He loves the just, protects strangers. Psalm 147 or 146 is reframing Isaiah 35. Right. It's stressing. It's reiterating it. It's putting it in different terms. But it, the way that the liturgy presents us to it this Sunday is as an answer to John the Baptist's prayer, which is not just this kind of frustrated Jesus, are you it or not? But also this cry, save me. Right. I'm suffering. Yeah. And what we have to see, because this is the key to the whole Christian life, is that the Lord does save John. Yep. He is saved. It is responded to. It's not maybe the way that John would have liked. He stays in prison, then he gets beheaded for it. But the fact that John has the courage and the grace to go forward with his martyrdom is evidence that the Lord heard his prayer, heard his cry, that he heard what Jesus said back to him. And he said, okay, I move forward in faith then. This is the one. I have my role. My role is to go forward and give my life for this, to stand up for the truth. The Lord heard his prayer. He came and saved John because 
He's a God who chose justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, sets the captives free, etc., etc. It's just not always in the way that we might hope for him to do it. Yeah. Sometimes the way of salvation is the way of the cross. Actually, yeah. always yeah. the way of salvation is the way of our own personal crosses. The way of John's glory was giving his life and being beheaded. Sometimes that's how God saves us, yeah. which is a hard message. Well, it, because this is the thing is we're not our own. I mean, so I think that the idea in the movement of like understanding a soldier and a soldier's mission, it's it's actually like there, there's something right about saying like sometimes we're sent to do something that is that involves tremendous sacrifice for others. Yeah. And like John the Baptist was saved by sacrificing himself for others, absolutely for sacrificing himself, and and the the privileged position that he have was in a specific and direct way for Jesus Christ, absolutely. And and what do we honor? I mean, we honor his birthday, we honor his conception, we honor we honor absolutely. him like all over the place. His name is one of those one of the highest names that could be. Yes, absolutely. I even took his name Baptiste um, when right. I was when I was a deacon. Yeah, one of your twenty-seven names, right? Yeah, it just yep. How many? Ten. <laughs> That's no less funny than twenty-seven. <laughs> Dude, I can't I can't wait until uh, I, I I tell the archbishop I'm going to put it in my like thing when when they when I have my funeral like like stuff I'm going to put it down that that I want all of my names on names. my headstone. I'll make sure they do it. Okay, thanks. I'll probably be there too. I'll be end companion. The end companion. But the, James, the reading from James then is again as the second reading is supposed to be pedagogically, it's the practical application of this. Right. Which it really James James is such a funny book. James we don't it is written presumably tradition says by the James who was the bishop of Jerusalem. Right. Um who we don't know exactly what the occasion was for him writing this or the exact context, but we know that he writes a lot about persecution and how to deal with it and what we're, how we're supposed to respond to that. And this chapter five is toward the tail end of the book. And I mean, again, putting all this in context, it's just the perfect capstone. It's the perfect practical application for all these things. Here in uh, verse seven, it says, be patient, brothers and sisters. And I almost imagine Jesus wanting to say that to his cousin. That's not what he says to these messengers. But that's what he's saying kind of in between the lines. John, be patient. Right. Be patient, my cousin, until the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord isn't just his literally, like somebody coming over to dinner. It's the idea of parousia, his coming in glory, his coming as king, his unveiling, right? Jesus has come by the time of John's being in prison. He's walking around, he's doing all sorts of stuff, but he has not shown himself in his glory in its fullness yet. He will do that on the cross in a very real way. But we're still, John's waiting for his quote-unquote coming because that is his being shown. And we too are now waiting. Yes, we're preparing for him coming at Christmas in Advent, but we're also preparing for a second coming where the veil will be lifted and we'll see and we'll say, oh, that's why I had to carry this baggage in my life or that's why I had to deal with whatever this was so that God could work that thing in my life. I get it now, but I, now on this side of the veil, I've got to have patience as I wait for his unveiling till the moment that I understand like, oh, that's why you had me go through that. That's why you allowed that thing to happen that I didn't understand. Well, I look at this last line and it says, beloved, take the prophets who spoke as an example of suffering and mm -hmm. patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
Dude, think about how much greater the expression of Jesus is than they were thinking about what was going to come. Oh, mind-blowing. And now think about what the second coming is going to be beyond what we could even imagine. That's a good insight. I mean, like, like, so the prophets were saying, hey, man, this is coming, this is coming. Like, the messiahs are going to be on its way, and everybody was like, we're going to trash you. And then, like... (laughs) And 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 then we have Jesus who comes and he's like, check this out. Mm. How much more is going to be? How much more unexpected is going to be the second coming? Wow. Than than even what they expected at the first. I mean, like, and but and for us, we have to take this 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 example of the prophets for us because we are actually living in a prophetic expression that's yes. going to be great. But to which we'll look back and say, oh. Right. I see it now. Because, you know, it's one of those things in the time of Jesus, nobody got it. You know, there's a smattering of followers. He has 12 that basically stick with him the whole time, but even they abandon him at the end. But the whole time you're like, why didn't anybody get it? And so many times when I teach classes and I try to, you know, put the pieces of the Old Testament prophecies together, people will come up to me always after my classes and talks and be like, why do the Jewish people not see this? Why do people not get this? Why do the people in Jesus' time not get hit? Mm-hmm. It's so crystal clear. Right. But the answer is that hindsight is twenty twenty. You can look back and say, oh. But in the beginning, even look at what we said about Isaiah 35. Here's like, God is going to come with vengeance and flowers will bloom. Well, what? Well, which one is it? Yeah. Is he coming with vengeance? Is he coming as a warrior? Is he coming as a gardener? Is he going to come and be a suffering servant, as Isaiah says, or come and be a mighty warrior, as Isaiah says elsewhere? Which one is it? Right. And we can look back and be like, oh, yeah, it's both. And I mean, I, I pray that we'll come to a point when Jesus comes again, when we'll look back and we'll be like, oh, I see, I see why he did it that way. It makes sense now. We live on this side of the veil, though. I mean, I think there's going to be some day when we'll look back, you know, on the book of Revelation or something and be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense now. Yeah. I see it. But on this side, it's just hard to understand what that symbolism means and that imagery. But that's what Jesus is following. And that's, that's what's so profound about somebody like John the Baptist, who... He never even sees the cross, for Pete's sake. He doesn't see the resurrection, yet he has the kind of faith, even in his blindness, to say, yes, I'm going to move forward in faith. I don't see the full picture yet, but I see enough to know that this is what God wants of me. Mm. I see enough to know that I'm the messenger. I am the voice. I get who I am in this. I don't understand how that works entirely, but I know who I am and I'm going to move forward in faith. And that's what we're called to do. And that's what James is really all about. It's like, and I love that analogy. He's a see how the farmer waits on the precious fruit of the earth, being patient with it until he receives it early in the late rains. Yet you must be patient. Make your hearts firm. Get ready. Strengthen them. Making the hearts firm reminds me of the line from Isaiah 35 where he says, strengthen the feeble knees. Your heart is weak. My heart is weak. My heart breaks way too easily and it's swayed and it's tempted to turn away from the things that I know to be true. And James is saying, no, strengthen it. It's going to be hard. It's going to get ugly, but strengthen it and be patient and be like the farmer who knows that spring is coming even in the dead of winter. Even when the rains are coming and you see nothing coming up out of the ground, you know that it's going to bloom because that's how God made creation to work. So too, if you move forward in faith, even though it's winter, you know that the spring will come. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Exactly right. And you have to have confidence in that. And to have confidence in that, you must make your heart firm. 
And that, honestly, to me, that's kind of the takeaway line from all these readings. Unless you're a cardiologist. Unless you're a cardiologist, then you (laughs) you massage it. (laughs) No, it's true. You have to make your heart firm. Uh, and like this is the thing is that I, I I say this to people I say you have do not complain I just noticed that it also says in James do not complain <laughs> don't which complain. is what John the Baptist is kind of doing yeah. like, hey man and don't grumble against one another otherwise yeah. you're gonna be judged <laughs> that stinks and but yeah I just tell people I was like you have two choices you can either suffer doing the Lord's will mm. or suffer not doing the Lord's Absolutely. will or avoiding That's the exactly Lord's it. will and and it's like it's like either way you know firm your weekend stop your shaking knees yes. and and open your ears and let yourself not be blind and deaf and proclaim the good news to the poor like do these things actually what happens is you're in the kingdom of god this is your assignment go out and do it and in yeah. as much as you do it i'm you you're going to be so struck yeah that's it so boom Ooh, boom indeed Oh, this a that. Hey, thanks, Scott. Thank you, Father thanks Peter. Thanks for opening the garden to me today. Thank you for sharing your chocolates <laughs> <laughs> and your ministry and yourself and you and too. Your, and Did your, you? your words of wisdom and your and podcast and your humor and your cynicism. <laughs> God bless oh. you all. Gaudete, Gaudete, Christus has not to ex Maria Virgin, Gaudete. See you next week. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.